Hey, I am glad that you are here today, and I am glad that I am here today. It's a blessing to have you here. Uh, it's, it's a family reunion when we get together on Sundays. We had a little bit of one of those yesterday at our house. We had uh, all our kids and grandkids there for breakfast. And Kathy said we ate quite a bit. <laughs> I didn't notice. I was too busy eating. But. Hey, we're going to look at several different passages today. Can you remember the theme we've been looking at on Sunday mornings? We had a couple weeks off because of different things, but for several Sunday mornings this summer, we've had a theme. <laughs> sins that we hide. That's right. And this morning, we are looking at sins that we hide from ourselves. You say, how does that work? Well, the Bible answers that for us. We're going to start this morning in Psalm 19. Hopefully that sounds a little familiar for you. Our theme verse for the month of August, the verse we've wanted you all to memorize, is Psalm 19, 14. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. And to memorize that, to think about that, uh, I learned that verse years ago. Actually, Kathy's the one who encouraged me to work on that verse and to commit it to memory. Uh, that... that we want God to look deep inside. And there are times when we can hide sins even from ourselves. If you have a bulletin, you'll notice in the bulletin there's four categories, things that we'll look at. You can use that to write down some notes or not. I don't want to distract you if it's going to stress you, uh, but I want to encourage you to use it if it's going to help you. And most of the time, we try and get a message online, and we're going to catch up on some of our Sunday morning messages online this week, uh, just to, to refresh so that you can look at it and listen, not look at it, but listen to it again and think it through again. Psalm 19, verse number 12, who can understand his errors or his faults? Who? And then he says, Cleanse me from secret faults. So the first part of the sins that we hide from ourselves are sins we don't notice. Cleanse me from secret faults. How could it be a sin if you don't notice it? Let me give you an illustration. Uh, years ago, I was a business manager. I was up in Oregon. I was driving from Portland, Oregon to where we had relocated our plant to Sandy, Oregon. And there was a semi that was about as long as most of the side of this wall here. And uh, I came around that semi and I was in a 45 zone, but it had snowed the night before and then it was going to snow a whole lot more that day. We didn't know it, but we got six more inches of snow that day awesome uh, snowmobiling, not so good road driving. Uh, but as we came along, I drove down the, the, the speed limit sign said 45. There were no warning signs saying speed limits couldn't slower, nothing. I drove past this semi, got pulled over by a cop. He gave me a ticket. He said, I was going 40 miles an hour, I thought, in a 45 zone, because a little snow on the road, I was taking it easy. It was a 25 zone. I said, but the speed limit I saw said 45. Well, there was another speed limit sign completely blocked by the semi. 
And I said, I couldn't see that speed limit sign. Ignorance of the law is no excuse. So I asked him if his brother-in-law owned the truck. But um, so it wasn't the best response, okay? But the illustr- I just blew my illustration, didn't I? Okay, ignorance of the law is no excuse. See, just because you don't realize it's wrong doesn't mean God doesn't realize that it's wrong. God does. God is so high and so holy. God is so righteous. In Him, there's not even the shadow of turning. There's no darkness at all. And we in this sin-cursed world, in a sin-cursed body, we sometimes don't even notice when we have sinned. We are distracted by life. And we're not thinking about the Lord. And we make a decision. And we respond to something. Maybe it's a, a fleeting thought of anger. Or uh, br- something just briefly in your head and then it's gone. And you never think about it again. But God notices. There are sins that we do that we don't even realize. These are the secret sins. They're hidden from ourselves, but a high and holy God notices every one of them. Secondly, sins that we don't recognize. Now, we have some great spiritual illustrations for each of of these sins that we don't recognize. Hopefully, you got your Bible with you, and you can turn to 1 Samuel chapter 15. 1 Samuel chapter 15. If you're in Psalms, just go back a little, unless you're on an electronic one, then it doesn't work to flip back a few pages uh, toward the front. 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther, Job, Psalm. So we're in 1 Psalm, Samuel, 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 15. This is a story about Saul. Now, Saul became king. He was a big guy, taller, head and shoulders above everybody else. We, uh, our older son, Nathan, lives in Flagstaff, and I'm not sure why, but people in Flagstaff tend to be shorter than they do down here. I, I'm not sure. If it's the altitude shrinks him down, I'm, I don't know. But, but he's really tall, and then he came home, and he didn't feel so tall, Because he stood next to Benjamin, who's taller than both of us, and next to um, his brother-in-law, who's taller than all the rest of us. And Nathan said, I don't like being the little guy. (laughs) But at Flagstaff, he's not. He's big. Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. Saul was a big guy. And he didn't like being the little guy either when Goliath came out, but that's another story. Saul has become king in Israel, and God gave him specific instructions. Now, a lot of people read through the Bible and they say, oh, God was evil because he told him to destroy the Amalekites. God knew that as a nation and as individuals, the Amalekites had chosen evil. 
God does not judge harshly. We have seen in the Bible when God even told them to destroy a city, if one person in that city repented, God spared that city. If just 10 people in Sodom had trusted God, God would have spared all the cities of the plain. He would have spared everybody, but he always saved those who would repent. So it was a just condemnation, and God ordered it. In 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 5, Now the word of the Lord came to Samuel, saying, I greatly regret that I have set up Saul as king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And it grieved Samuel. So when Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, I'm sorry, I, I missed a line. It grieved Samuel, and he cried out to the Lord all night. Uh, you, if you're older, you have experienced a night of wakefulness and praying and agony over some situation. Quite often, a, a choice made by somebody who's not you. A choice made by somebody else that hurts you. And you've had trouble sleeping, and that's where Samuel was. Then in verse 13, um, or verse 12, Samuel rose up early in the morning to meet Saul, and it was told Samuel, saying, Saul went to Carmel, and indeed he set up a monument for himself, a, an area to worship, and he had gone around, passed by, and had gone down to Gilgal. Then Samuel went to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. Now, the reason that Samuel is going to talk to Saul is because Saul had not obeyed the Lord. And God was condemning Saul because he had not obeyed the Lord. And the first thing out of Saul's mouth, I have obeyed the Lord. See, we have sins uh, that we don't even realize or don't notice, but there's also sins that we don't recognize Saul said, I've obeyed the Lord because he led the troops in battle and they were victorious and he was feeling really good about himself and Samuel shows up and Saul's like, yes, we can worship together. So uh, look at verse 14. But Samuel said, what then is the bleeding of sheep in my ears and the lowing of oxen which I hear? They were told to destroy everything. And Saul said... They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have utterly destroyed. What did God tell them to do? Destroy all. What did they do? Destroyed all the bad stuff and kept the good stuff. Now they say, oh, we, we kept it to offer it to God. Okay, listen, uh, there was a Baptist deacon. You've got to watch out for those guys. There was a Baptist deacon in a church in Nebraska who had a, um, uh, he was an electronics genius, and he went to Vegas and figured out how to predict the slot machines when they would give the big bonus. And so he took in over $2 million uh, that he got from Vegas, and then he went back to Nebraska, and no one knew till sometime he told somebody about it that he had rigged it, and then they told somebody, and they told somebody, and they told the U.S. Marshal. And the U.S. Marshal came in and arrested the deacon. 
And the deacon had given most of the money to the church. They built a new building with that money. And the government came in and shut the church down, sold the property to pay the debt that the money that guy had stolen from Las Vegas. Don't steal money and say, oh, I'm going to give it to the Lord. Now, obey God. Obey what he says. And so uh, Saul gives this big excuse in verse 15 that they have brought them. And in verse 16, Samuel said to Saul, be quiet. Right now in, in the Hebrew, it's really shut up, man. Just stop speaking. Be quiet. Hush your mouth. We had a friend who used to live next door to us when years and years ago, and she used to say, hush up your face, child. Uh, that's what Samuel is saying to Saul. Hush up your face, child. She was from West Virginia, so it made sense to her. Uh, and Samuel said, be quiet. I will tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And Saul said, speak on. So Samuel said, where were you? I'm sorry, when you were little in your own eyes, were you not head of the tribes of Israel? And did not the Lord anoint you king over Israel? Now the Lord set you on a mission and said, here's what God said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the Lord? Why did you swoop down on the spoil and do evil in the sight of the Lord? And Saul said to Samuel, But I have obeyed the voice of the Lord and gone on the mission which the Lord sent me. And I brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and I have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. If he had utterly destroyed the Amalekites, where would Agag be? Utterly destroyed. He brought them back. What they did in that culture, they would bring, when kings conquered, they would bring the conquered king back. They often would cut off his thumbs. So then he was unable to hold a sword against them. And then they would make him sit in chains at their table to celebrate their victory over that king. And some kings had 20 kings they had conquered sitting at their table with no thumbs. Um, a little hard to eat that way too. But uh, that was their way to brag about what they had done. And Saul was not supposed to do that. Saul was supposed to obey God. And destroy the Amalekites because God's wrath was pronounced against them. But he didn't. So in verse 21, oh, but, but the people, not the king, of course, he's responsible to lead the people. He should have stopped them even if it was motivated by the people. But he said, the people did that. They took of the plunder, sheep and oxen, the best of, of which should... Uh, have been utterly destroyed. They did it to give a sacrifice to the Lord your God. And look what Samuel said. Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offering and sacrifices as obeying the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he also has rejected you from being king. Sins we don't 
recognize. Saul said, I have obeyed the Lord. And then when Saul rebuked him again, he said, but I have obeyed the Lord. Those other people didn't. It's not my fault. And yet, God pronounced Saul guilty before Samuel even showed up. Sins that we don't recognize. Here's one for you, a sin we don't recognize. How about trash talking in sports competition? You've heard of that, right? Some of you have experienced that. Some of you even have been involved in that. You know what I'm talking about? What is trash talking? Putting down the other side. The other guy, the other side. You know, if you're lining up across the line in football, you're mouthing off to the guy who's across the line. I'm going to take you down. I'm going to get blow through you to get to the quarterback. Or uh, you're up there at the plate. You're ready to hit the ball. And and the the catcher's back there behind you saying, oh, man, you're just going to get annihilated by this pitcher. Uh, The outfield's all yelling, hey, he's a lousy hitter. Um, Lots of trash talking goes on in sports. What do you think God thinks about that? He doesn't like it. Why? Does the Bible say anything about it? Does it say, thou shalt not trash talk? What does it say? What was that? Be kind to your neighbor. We're supposed to encourage them. The words that we say, the Bible says, we're Matthew um, 12 says, we're going to give account of every idle word that we speak in the day of judgment, that God's going to judge our mouth, what we have said. And then in the New Testament, it says, our words are supposed to help people to build them up, not tear them down, not belittle them, but to strengthen them. Um, uh, Colossians 4, 6, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, that it may minister to those who hear. Ephesians 4, speaking the truth in love. So you're not supposed to be trash talking. There are other sins that we don't recognize. There's sins we're not aware of, there's sins that we don't recognize. Now, one of the ways we don't recognize certain sins, we just haven't matured enough yet. There are things when I was a new Christian that I allowed in my life that I didn't even realize they were sins till after I'd grown in the Lord and learned His Word a little more. And then I realized, okay, that's not right. I need to stop doing that. So, What's the first kind of sins we hide from ourselves? Sins we don't notice. What's the second kind? Sins we don't recognize. We don't recognize it as sin. Why is that? Well, because we have a grading scale. Right? To get an A in school, you kids, what, what's the grade you need to get a minimum to get an A? 90 or 92 or 94, depending on what class you're in, what the teacher does. So I think everywhere in school, if you get a 94 or higher, you get an A, right? You see, God doesn't have that kind of grading scale. 
God has a different grading scale. God has a grading scale that you get 100% you pass. 99.9% you fail. God grades completely on pass-fail, and pass is perfect. Now, God knows we can't be perfect. That's why he wrote in the scripture what we read a little earlier in 1 John, that when we sin, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and we're making God a liar. But when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So sins that we we don't recognize, but God recognizes them because on his grading scale, it's perfect or failure. So, who was perfect? Where does everybody else fit in? Fail. All right, turn to somebody sitting close to you and say, you're a failure. Just, just, okay. Is that true? Yes, it is. In the, in the theological sense, you are a failure because you have failed. But you don't have to stay a failure. You can fail and not be a failure in the way that you respond to your sin. We'll look at that in just a little bit. Psalm 139, David writes, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. There are sins that you don't recognize as sins, but God will show you if you will genuinely ask him, ask God to show you those sins. There's a third category, sins we don't acknowledge. Sins we don't acknowledge. Now, sometimes we're hiding these from other people. Sometimes we have failed to acknowledge them for so long, it's no longer in our head. I remember in Malachi chapter 3, Verse 8, I think, uh, God says, will, will a man rob God? And, and they say, well, how have we robbed you? And he said, in tithes and offerings. They weren't even aware they were doing it anymore. They had become callous. Uh, the New Testament says, your mind can be seared, your, your uh, conscience can be seared like with a hot iron. Um, and so take your Bible and turn to 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel. <coughs> really close to 1 Samuel in my Bible. It might be in yours too. All right, we're going to look at a sin of David and something David did that God despised. Uh, 2 Samuel, we're going to start in uh, chapter 11. 2 Samuel chapter 11. All right, now, at this point, David is king. Saul had been king. Saul was rejected by God, and now at this point, David is now the king. In chapter 11 and verse number 1, Now it came to pass in the spring of the year, at the times when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Reba, but David remained at Jerusalem. Do you notice any problem? What's what would be the normal pattern of David's life in chapter 11, verse 1? What should he have done? He's the king. It's the time when the kings go out to battle. It's not the time when the kings send their troops out to battle. It's the time when the kings go out. 
and David did not. Now, part of this was good. He had some great troops and some great generals, and he could trust them and not send them out. In America, we do not send our president out to battle. Um, some argue that we should, but we don't do that. We send the troops out to battle. Most of the time, the generals are not even on the front line. Um, flag officers are back. They're uh, evaluating the admirals and the generals. They're looking and evaluating and discerning and sending the troops out there. Uh, a lot of us served in the military, and all of us were uh, the troops that got sent out. Uh, we weren't the generals that got to send out troops, right? Um, but they, it said, David remained at Jerusalem. Now, here's a lesson for you to learn. When you know God's word, obey it. When you're supposed to be doing something, do it. Don't just sit home. Do it. I was talking before the service about, we were talking about discipleship outreach, and somebody was saying, you know, I have this thoughts, and I think about it, but I don't actually do it. We need to do it. We need to reach out. We need to minister. We need to care. We need to be engaged and involved. Uh, don't just sit back in your house. That's what David did, and it led to terrible sin. In the New Testament, God describes it like this, giving place to the devil. You give Satan a stronghold in your life because you use language that's inappropriate or you go places that are inappropriate or you watch movies or read books that are inappropriate and it gives an open door for Satan to work in your life. Get up and obey God and pursue him. Verse 2, then it happened one evening. Maybe not the first evening, but one evening while David's back and the troops are out there fighting, David arose from his bed. He couldn't sleep. He'd probably been laying around all day. It's hard to sleep when you've been laying around all day. Uh, a lot easier to sleep when you're tired from work. Uh, and so he walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing, and the woman was very beautiful to behold. Could David have avoided seeing the woman? Yes, if he had gone to battle. At this point on the roof, he couldn't avoid it. He's walking around. We live in a different culture than they lived in. We can't imagine what it was like to see a woman outside bathing. Uh, but our culture is different than their culture. Maybe she thought she was alone and couldn't be seen because the king was out to battle. And I don't know. I don't know what prompted this. The Bible doesn't actually criticize Bathsheba for any of this, but it does criticize David. So, verse 3, David sent and inquired about this woman. Who is this woman? And someone said, is not this Bathsheba? Okay. Who is she? The daughter of Eliam. Uh, and elsewhere in Scripture, uh, the granddaughter of Ahithophel, David's advisor, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Uriah was one of David's mighty men of valor. And so he says, listen, she's the daughter of one of your trusted guys. She's the wife of one of your faithful warriors. And David sent messengers and took her 
And she came to him and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity at that time when a woman was having her time of the month, as so we call it sometimes. Uh, afterwards, she had to purify herself. So she had done that. And, and so uh, they uh, behaved inappropriately, had sex together. And the woman conceived and sent and told David, I am with child. All right, first thing, David was in the wrong place at the wrong time. Secondly, when David was tempted, he didn't stop himself. He just went right through. And now he's busted. So he comes up with a genius plan. Let's have her husband come home, have him go home and sleep with his wife, and then he'll think he's the dad. Genius plan. How did it work? Not so good. Uriah wouldn't do it. And Uriah came to David, and David said, why didn't you go home last night? And Uriah said, "Uh, my men are in battle. That's where I belong. Kind of a rebuke to David, right? Because it was the times the king should be in battle, and David wasn't. Uriah said, I can't go home to my wife when my brothers are out at war. In, In America, we've gotten kind of casual about when we're at war somewhere. And we have soldiers out there fighting and, and we, we get more upset over what's going on in the grocery store and we don't spend enough time praying for the guys out there making our freedom uh, possible. Um, that's just a side note, okay? Now, so Uriah refuses to go home and so David says, you know what? I'm going to give him one more chance. And Uriah again refused to go home. So David now comes up with what he thinks is his second genius idea. Okay? Uh, 2 Samuel uh, chapter 11, verse 14. Then in the morning it was so that when David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it by the hand of Uriah, he wrote in the letter saying, Set Uriah in the forefront of the hottest battle and retreat from him that he may be struck down and die. Okay, what do we call what David's doing here? No, what do we call it? Murder for hire. Okay, it's it's the same charge as murder, the same equivalent as murder, but he's hiring somebody to commit murder. And he's sending him to the forefront of the hottest part of the battle. And Uriah doesn't back down at all. Why? Because he's a mighty man of valor. He's going to go and fight. He's going to obey orders and he's going to fight and he's going to do. And so he did in verse 16. So it happened while Job besieged the city. He assigned Uriah to a place where he knew there were valiant men. Then the men of the city came out and fought with Joab. And some of the people of the servants of David fell. And Uriah the Hittite died also. Now, jump down to verse 27. And when her mourning was over, David sent and brought, uh, the, verse 26, Bathsheba's husband, she knows he's dead, and she goes into mourning for her husband. And when her mourning was over, verse 27, David sent and brought her into his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. Now read the rest of the verse with me, okay? I'm going to stop after her son. Uh, she became his wife and bore him a son. Read with me. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. You know, there's things you do that displease the Lord. 
There, there's a sin that we hide from ourselves because we're not aware of it. There's sins that we hide from ourselves because we don't realize it. And then there's sins that we hide from ourselves because we don't acknowledge it and our hearts get hardened. And what David had done displeased the Lord. And I'm sure at this point, David feels some guilt. At this point, David feels God working. And the, God would be convicting of sin, but David hardens his heart. And elsewhere in Scripture, we find that for a time, David did not even go to worship. He stayed away, probably because he was feeling guilty for his sin. So he stayed away. But God wasn't through with this yet. In chapter 12, verse 1. Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. <laughs> I was preaching on this once when my son Nathan was a little kid. And I said, Nathan said, thou art the man. And Nathan looked at Kathy and said, I did? <laughs> now, the Lord sent Nathan to David, and he came to him and he said to him, Nathan is a prophet of God, and says, there were two men in one city, one rich and the other poor. He's telling David a story that will engage David's heart, and it does. Um, verse 2, the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, uh, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb. And he had brought it up and nourished it, and it grew together with him and with his children. It ate of his own food and drank from his own cup. All right, now, just that, that really, like, creeps me out. You know, I see on television where people share a cup with a cat or a dog, and then they'll drink from it. Yuck. But this guy did that with that little lamb, okay? Let's get beyond the gross effect here, and let's see the spiritual impact. And, and so this lamb was like a daughter to him, the end of verse 3. And a traveler came to the rich man who refused to take from his own flock and from his own herd to prepare one for the wayfaring lamb who had come. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Oh, man. David is outraged. David thinks about this rich guy taking that one lamb. David is so upset. In verse 5, David's anger was greatly aroused. Wow, what's it look like when your anger's greatly aroused? Your nostrils flare, your eyes are, you're really upset. David might have been going this, you know, he's really, really upset. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this shall surely die. And he shall restore fourfold for the lamb because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And verse 7, Nathan says, thou art the man. You see, uh, David had not acknowledged his sin. And so at this point, he had become callous. And he could very easily see the sin of that other guy. But he had a harder time seeing his own sin. The sin of that other guy. Oh, that man deserved to be put to death and to have his money taken away and given to the man he'd robbed from to restore fourfold. Isn't it kind of funny how good you are at seeing sin in someone else? And what a hard time we sometimes have at seeing sin in ourselves. 
That person we look at in the mirror, we don't see the sin, but we see it in other people. When we fail to acknowledge our sin, it builds a... um, we, We just get complacent. It builds a barrier between what the Holy Spirit wants to do in our heart and what God can actually do. David was outraged at a man who had taken a lamb. But David himself had done much worse. And he didn't feel convicted over his own sin. All of us need people who who will help us. You need people to speak into your life. You need people who will question your motives sometimes. Um, Years ago, Kathy had a good friend, and Kathy went to this friend because one of our daughters and their daughter played together, and her daughter, that lady's daughter, had said something inappropriate, and Kathy wanted to tell this woman so that she could correct it with her daughter and avoid it in the future, and that woman got outraged with Kathy, that Kathy would dare think her little precious little four-year-old, right, five-year-old, would, would dare say and do such a thing, and she would never let her daughter around Jessica ever again, and there was a, a breach in the relationship. Why? How many of you believe that children are sinless? See, not even the kids raise their hand on that one. Nobody believes that. So parents, if somebody tells you your kid's done something wrong, listen to them. Don't get defensive. Deal with it. Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, the scripture says, and it needs to be corrected. Oh, David was outraged. David was incensed. And David didn't realize The whole story was about him. And Nathan said, thou art the man. Have you ever been in a moment like that? When when you're reading scripture and suddenly, bam, it's like the Holy Spirit reached around the Bible and smacked you right in the head. You're like, whoa, that's talking to me. Well, you know it's not really talking to you, but the Holy Spirit's using it to impact your life. And when those moments come, don't blow them off. Don't think, oh yeah, that applies to me a little bit, but boy, that could really apply to that other guy. Deal with you. And we know that David did, and, and we rejoice in that. Sins that we don't notice, sins that we don't recognize as sin, sins that we don't acknowledge The fourth category, sins we don't confess. Sins we don't confess. Um, I'm going to read a verse from Ezekiel, and then we're all going to turn to a different passage of Scripture in just a moment. But in Ezekiel, he's talking about how sins don't carry down the generation. So you could have a father who's sinful and kids that are good, or kids that are sinful when the parents are good, And so uh, some cultures, if the dad does something bad, they punish everybody. And in fact, it seems like that's what God did with the Amalekites. Because they were sinful, God destroyed them all. No, if some had been, would have repented, God would have spared them and forgiven them. 
That's the nature of God. But Ezekiel chapter 18 and verse 18, here's the judgment. As for the father, the father who has sinned, his son didn't join in the sin, so his son's not going to be punished. As for the father, because he cruelly oppressed, robbed his brother by violence, and did what is not good among his people, behold, he shall die for his iniquity. See, the wrath of God is serious and awful. And, and if you have not trusted Christ, have not had your sins forgiven, the wrath of God is something you will face someday, just as surely as the Amalekites faced God's wrath, as the Sodomites faced God's wrath, so you will face God's wrath if you do not repent. If your sins are not forgiven, you will face God's wrath and judgment in hell. But if you repent, take your Bibles, please, and turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. I'm going to wait till you get there. I want you to read something with me. Sins we don't confess. We need to confess and forsake our sins. Psalm 51. Do you notice before verse 1, there's some words. It says, To the chief musician, a psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. So, we just read about Nathan the prophet saying to David, Thou art the man. And now we're reading David's response. Look at verse 1. Have mercy upon me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly, uh, thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. This is a brokenness over sin. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. Hey, he had sinned against Bathsheba. He had sinned against his servants who went and got her. He had sinned against the counsel of the man who identified who she was. He had sinned against Uriah. He had sinned against Joab by making Joab part of the, the crime. But his real sin was against God. All sin against anyone else Anytime we hurt someone else because of our sin, it's a result of our sin against God. And then uh, verse 4, he said that you may, against you and you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak and blameless when you judge. Jump down to verse 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. He had put a man to death, the God of my salvation. 
and my tongue shall sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise. For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. If, you, if you've read through the book of Isaiah, in the first chapter of Isaiah, God says, why are you offering all these sacrifices? These are vain, these are empty, these are worthless. And that's what David says, you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. That's how Isaiah ends. It begins and ends the same way David begins and ends these, these verses. And David said, Lord, you don't want me to just do more sacrifice. That's what Samuel told Saul. To obey is better than sacrifice. God wants more than just a sacrifice. He wants your heart. And David said, quoting almost from Isaiah, uh, that a broken and a contrite heart. That's what God would want. Isaiah wrote many years after David was on the throne. When David, when Isaiah wrote, Uzziah had been on the throne at the beginning of, of uh, Isaiah's prophecies. So there was a brokenness that David recognized and that Isaiah recognized that came directly from the Holy Spirit of God to put it in Scripture for us. There needs to be a brokenness over our sin. Not a dismissiveness. Well, yeah, I did that, but he did worse. No, a brokenness. And when we truly and humbly repent. If, you, if we had continued reading in the story in 2 Samuel, David fell on his face before the Lord. He begged and pleaded for God to spare the life of his child. And here in Psalm 51, David pours out his heart. Do you know what Psalms are? What the book of Psalms is? What is it? It's songs. It's poetry. It's part of the wisdom literature. But it's the song book of Israel. And in Hebrew scripture, at the beginning of the psalm, which we have before verse 1, that's their verse 1. So, they get ready to worship God and they're going to sing a song and they start singing. This is the Psalm of David. When Nathan the prophet went into him after he had gone into Bathsheba, they sing in their worship song about the sins of their king because he repented and he was restored to God and he had a brokenness. People will admit their error, their misjudgment. But if it's really conviction of sin brought by the Holy Spirit, then there's going to be a brokenness. Lord, I've sinned against you. I, I deserve death. Please forgive me. There's going to be a brokenness that shows up. And when we are broken over our sin, when there is a heart-wrenching, heart-almost-wretching, uh, apology and begging of forgiveness to God. God is gracious to forgive. Because if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But when we don't, God won't.
Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Sins I'm not aware of. Sins I don't recognize. Sins I haven't acknowledged. Sins I haven't confessed. Now I acknowledge them. I recognize them. I confess them. Please, Lord, forgive. And in those circumstances, he will. Nathan came to David and said, Thou art the man. Maybe this morning, this morning the Holy Spirit has said to you, You're the man. You're the woman. You're the one who needs to repent. You're the one who needs to confess. You're the one who needs to have a change of heart. I don't know what God's doing in your heart and life. I know what he does in mine. And I celebrate what he does when he brings conviction of sin and a chance to repent. He loves you with an everlasting love. But he loves you too much to leave you the way you are. He wants to change you and heal you and restore broken relationships and restore fellowship. There's a song in her hymnal, Cleanse Me. And we're going to sing that in just a moment. And after we've sung that hymn, we're going to be dismissed for the service. We have some deacons in our church. Uh, Tim Pennock serves as a deacon. His wife assists him working with a group of people. Ben Qualls and his wife, Teresa, they serve in the same way. Jeff and Sherry Miller, Randy and Sarah George. Um, listen, we have, your deacons pray for you regularly. If you're a member of this church, you have a deacon, and he and his wife are praying for you. And maybe this morning you need to get together with your deacon and say, listen, I, I need you to pray for me over this sin I've struggled with. And they will. They won't talk about it. It won't be on the one call at church. I won't even find out about it unless they think I need to and get your permission to share it with me. But we need to get serious about sin. Because God is, and the consequences are big. So Benjamin's going to play through this song, and you're going to bow and talk to God and think about it, and maybe after the service, talk to one of your deacons. If you're not a member here and you want to talk to one of the deacons, they will not mind. They will pray for you. But let's get serious, and let's align our heart with God like David did to repent of our sin.
Let us stand as Jim comes and leads us in this song.